Uh, well, the first thing is about the early ministry of Jesus, calling the disciples, miracles, what those early days looked like. But it's told through the eyes of the disciples. And it's quite a unique glimpse, really, into the life of Jesus. There's some artistic, artistic interpretation uh, and kind of reading between the lines of Scripture. But it's beautifully told. And Jesus has a sense of humor, and I love it. It's great. Absolutely love it. But so when John said, hey, why don't we do a series at the sixth that uses The Chosen as a, a starting point? I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Abby and I watched it the first season in lockdown. Uh, you can, as I say, watch that on Prime now. But back when we watched it, there's a specific app. And it's the largest, most successful crowdfunded TV series of all time. Um, and so we watched it. And we were incredibly, you know, when we were all just so scattered, to be able to have a resource like this um, really stirred us and helped us. Um, and, and we just found it such an amazing tool. So when John said, let's do this, I was like, absolutely. We're not going to be watching the full episodes in our evening services. <laughs> Although that would make it really easy on preachers, wouldn't it? But, um, but we're not going to be doing that. Um, what we'd encourage you to do is either if you're in a small group, if you're not in a small group, sign up to a small group. My school small group on Thursday night, we watched the first episode. And we're introduced to the characters, and we'll look at that in a second. But if you're not in a small group and you'd like to follow along with this, then you can find that on Prime. Watch, uh, watch one episode a week, either before the Sunday service or after, kind of whatever you feel works best for you. Or the app, if you can't afford Prime, there you go. Um, what's that, sorry? Oh yeah, I don't want to do that, you're right, yeah. <laughs> we like the BBC here. Um, I would just say, before we go into this, that there is no substitute for just getting into Scripture getting into the word, reading the Gospels, and seeing where the inspiration for the, the dramatization is pulled from. It is, there's, there's riches to be discovered. And so I'd really encourage you to get into the Gospels, to read, and to um, gain the life-giving power of the Gospels. This evening, we're going to be looking at episode one. And we're introduced to the characters uh, of Peter um, and Andrew. Matthew, Nicodemus, and Mary. And this evening we're going to be focusing specifically in the talk on Mary. Lots to be said about the other uh, characters when you watch the series, but we're going to be focusing on the story of Mary and some of the parallels that she has with the prophet Isaiah. But first, a question. Brian actually said this last week. What is in a name? What is in a name? What does your name stand for? My name, my surname is Letitia, and I think I got this right, but I think it means Thatcher in French, and it said something about kind of what uh, my family did, apparently, and Abby loves to remind me that her uh, maiden name, Chesworth, means brave knight. So, <laughs> so um, <laughs> the, the brave knight married the peasant Thatcher, and um, I, who got the better end of the stick? I think I did. Um, but uh, ask her. Our names are not just what we are called, but they are how we are remembered. They're how we're known. And it was no different in biblical times either. We've looked at a series, um, God Has a Name, um, looking at the name Yahweh, slow to anger, abounding in love. The name David meant, means beloved, Ethan Strong. Gabriel, God is my strength, and this is by far my favorite, is Esau means hairy. So he was a man who was known for being hairy. 
<laughs> Names communicate who we are, and they, in a sense, carry that reputation of who we are. And if you've had the privilege, if you're here this evening, you've had the privilege uh, of, of having children, they will understand uh, that it's a special thing to name someone else. And that responsibility, I can remember kind of, we were scratching our heads for hours, what name is going to sum up our daughter and all that we hope she will become and, and, you know, a prophetic act of naming someone. It's an amazing thing. And it can seemingly all hang on a name. Now hold on to that thought. We're going to watch the first clip uh, from The Chosen. We're going to be introduced to Mary as a child looking at Isaiah 43. I love that. You are mine, and you are known by name. And that promise that's spoken by God through the prophet Isaiah brings great comfort to Mary in that moment of fear as a child, comfort. Um, But it also would have brought great comfort to a nation, the people of Israel, because they would have been stripped of their um, physical land, no home, their physical identity as a nation, um, oppressed by the Romans, would have been completely stripped away from them. And so for them to know and to remember that God knows them by name was hugely powerful to them. And sometimes things like that can be lost on us, but it's helpful to remember that God knew their name, a great comfort to them. But the question which arises in my mind when I think about that is what happens when our name isn't something to be proud of? Or perhaps when life batters us or it takes turns and we think, how did I get here? How did I get here? I'm, I, what am I, what, what's going on? I can think, you know, times in my 20s, things that I pursued in my 20s are very different to the things that I now pursue. Things that were important to me then of uh, uh, career and, and advancing, yeah, it's still important, but I hold it lighter now. And, and I think, actually, I wouldn't want to be known for that kind of like... Um, that pursuit of doing, you know, I would go home, if I didn't know how to do something, I'd go home from work and I'd just spend all evening learning so that the next day I'd go back and I wouldn't come across as stupid. And, um, and um, that was a huge thing, but I, I hold that lightly now. I'm not about that anymore. Or what happens when we make wrong choices? Perhaps you're here this evening, you feel like your name may not communicate all that you would like it to communicate. We don't know a huge amount about Mary, um, other than in uh, Luke 8, it says that she was delivered of seven demons, and that she was, with, she was with Jesus through his ministry, and that she witnessed the resurrection. It was actually Pope Gregory the Great who put two and two together, that she was um, this sinful woman or a prostitute who washes the feet of Jesus with perfume in Luke 7. And it was most likely uh, because Mary does the same thing in uh, John 12. There's two accounts. And one is of a sinf- says a sinful woman washed his feet. And another says it was Mary. And some people believe that was one event. Some people believe it was two. Either way, it's safe to say that the fact that she was possessed by seven demons says that she was not a person of peace. That her life had probably not gone the way that she would have hoped for or expected. As I said, that might be how some of us feel here this evening. Life has taken a turn and you're thinking, how did I get here? Mary's name would have carried a reputation and others would have looked down on her, despised her, rejected her. 
and outcast as her, even been fearful of her. And the words that we've just heard there uh, by her father in that clip are from the prophet Isaiah. And that's where I'd love us to just pick up our Bibles. So if you have a Bible with you, great. Well done. If not, it's going to come up on the screen behind me. We're going to be reading from Isaiah 6, um, verses 1 to 8. So let's get into that. In the year that King Uzziah died, let's pause, time stamp, King Uzziah died. This is a thing that happened. It wasn't like a, uh, just a random metaphor or concept. This was a time stamped thing. This happened. I saw the Lord seated on a throne. That's important too, because King Uzziah's died or is going to die. He's presumably ill if he hasn't died already. I saw the king, uh, the Lord, seated on a throne. He's a king. So there's comfort for us in there. If you feel like uh, you don't know where life's going or you you think, who is seated? uh, Who's in charge here? God is seated on the throne. Uh, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, that's like angelic beings, um, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, at the sound of their voices, their doorposts, the doorposts and threshold shook, and the temple, that's important, was filled with smoke. And this is Isaiah speaking, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. That's also important. With it, he touched my mouth and said, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That just means to be forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Holy Holy, holy. He says it not just once, but three times. He's really drilling her in my point here. It's not just holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. God is seated as the king on a throne. And these seraphs, these angelic beings calling out to one another, their voices shaking the temple. There is a magnitude to what is going on. This is no kind of like, I don't know if you've heard this expression before about the pocket God that maybe you bring out when you need like a parking space, that sort of thing. God, give me a parking space. This is holy, holy, holy. The king seated on a throne, majestic and terrifying. It would have been scary. It's like, I like to think of that as like the T-Rex from um, the end of Jurassic Park when they're kind of thinking, they're they're surrounded by the velociraptors and they're thinking, what are we going to do? And in bursts this T-Rex. Now the whole film, they become completely terrified of this T-Rex bursting in. Um, But at that point, he comes and kind of rips the velociraptors apart and he kind of saves the day. (laughs) Bad analogy. But God is terrifying. There is a fear um, that we experience in, in, in the presence of a holy God, the, the, the magnitude of the God. But, like that T-Rex, he's on our side. Um, 
God is seated on a throne. And Isaiah responds, I think, how any of us would in that situation. Woe is me. I am ruined. Isaiah's sin, his failings. He's a preacher, but he still sins. His failings, his inadequacies are painfully visible. And just like Mary, his life to this point has probably not gone to what he might have hoped or planned for. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Do you think that he's talking about the words that he says? I think yes, but... In Matthew 12, Jesus talks about this. He says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, Isaiah's sin is a heart issue. The people that he surrounds himself with, their sin is an issue of a heart. What comes out of his mouth is birthed out of a a heart state, a place inside where he is devoting himself to other gods or other idols. And we find find ourselves doing the same thing now. Love of money love of power, all these things. And in the presence of a holy God, I am ruined. A few weeks ago, Abby and I thought that we would paint um, our daughter's room, her bedroom. And, um, and who has, is anyone like really good at DIY here? No? Paul Sloan, okay, I'm just getting a few notes as to who can come do it next time, really, because uh, it took forever. I mean, I, we thought, well, let's decorate, we'll paint the walls, it'll be brilliant. Um, we asked her, actually, what colour do you want to paint it, and of course she said pink. Um, so we gave her one wall of pink, I can't do a whole room of pink. But um, she, uh, uh, sorry, I've just a sidetrack. But um, we thought, well, we'll paint it. The floor was really uneven. There were kind of like dips, laminate flooring that had kind of started to rise up in the, in the, at the joins. And we thought, let's replace that as well. I thought, yeah, it'd be a good kind of task to do. If you've ever done that, don't do it. It's just hard work. We had to take the skirting boards off, put the floor down, put the skirting boards back on, paint them. It took weeks. And Noah's sleeping in our room the whole time. That was a nightmare as well. But... Um, Anyway, we got there, and I was clearing out the stuff. You know, kind of, you can understand something of when God looks at creation in Genesis, and he goes, it's good, and you're thinking, I've painted this wall, it's good. And, um, and he, uh, we were looking at this wall and basking in just how pristine the walls were. I loved it. And as I was moving the paint out, I knocked over a broom, and the broom hit the wall, and it put this scratch not a big scratch, but this scratch on a wall. And I don't know if you've ever kind of done that. I probably wouldn't have noticed it if it, had been, if it hadn't just been freshly painted. It just would have kind of fallen into the other marks on the wall and would have been totally kind of camouflaged. But all I could see was this mark. All I could see was this tiny little thing. I thought, that is not how it's meant to be. Weeks of work, and it's ruined in a moment. Our sin in the presence of a holy God. It's, like, it's a little bit like that, Mark. We can't avoid it. We can't pretend like it's not there. That feeling of sheer sorrow that Isaiah experiences and we read about is his journey of discovering the depths of his sin. Painful realization that he is sinful. But, and as we've been singing about this evening, we come to a merciful God a loving God, a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. God doesn't leave Isaiah there. 
just as he doesn't leave us there. No sooner has Isaiah declared his own sinfulness as God cleansed him. We're going to read verse 6 to 7 again. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for, forgiven. That's a bit weird, isn't it? It's a bit odd. You're thinking, that's not kind of our expression of... I mean, thank goodness we don't get searing hot coals and be like, here you go. Um, well, I just want to kind of a little bit, uh, an interesting connection, which I think sheds some light on this. This single act would have been a powerful symbol of forgiveness. And it stems right back to the tabernacle, Israel in the wilderness, um, and temple practices. And one of the, uh, there would have been different altars that um, the high priest would have, uh, would have, kind of used to atone for or uh, for the sins of Israel or to um, symbolize the prayers of the people rising up to God. And one of them was the, bur- the altar for the burnt offering. Uh, and it was normally an unblemished lamb, and it symbolized uh, the forgiveness of wrongdoings. And so remember that Isaiah's vision is in this temple. By this seraph picking up a burning alt- coal from the altar that was for the um, uh, for the burnt offering, he is in effect saying, purifying Isaiah of all his wrongdoings. And if anyone sees the connection here, gold star, the lamb that would have been sacrificed as a burnt offering is the same lamb we read about in John 1 29. It says this, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's beautiful. love it. It's just incredible. Jesus becomes the way in which we are forgiven of sin. And the blemish on the wall, the unholiness, our unholiness against God's holiness, is covered by his son, Jesus. And so where's Mary in all this? Mary finds herself in a mess. If I watch, watch the episode, you'll see what I mean. Mary finds herself in a mess. Her life her reputation, her name. It's a mess. She's broken and bruised by, tra- by life and trauma. Where her life has taken her has left her without hope and without future. And just like Isaiah, she is ruined. But let's watch what happens in the second clip and then we'll Bring it into land. I love that. So you've got to watch it. It's so good. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Isaiah 43. He has called you by name. Your true name. Your true reputation your identity, not the name or the reputation that impresses others. Like Matthew, as you watch, with his love of money, not the things which you think will gain you popularity or success or the name that haunts you, the things, the mistakes that you've done wrong. He knows you by your name. His name that he has given you. His identity that he has given you. Your true identity. As a son and a daughter of God. 
He knows you by name. And he's bought you by the death and resurrection of Jesus, the unblemished lamb, the burnt offering. He knows you by name. No matter the mess that we find ourselves in, God will always know you by name and you are his. And the the question that we have to ask ourselves at this point is how will I respond? How will I respond to my sin in the presence of a holy God? Will I fight it? Will I deny it? Um, As Nicodemus, when you watch it, will I try to put on a good show? Or will I surrender it to God? And I just think that scene just gets me every time because I think just as we've seen, just like Mary, at that point where you think I am ruined is when we get to embrace Jesus, when we can fall into his arms. And from there, God sends us and we go. We go to serve others. It's the incredible truth of Christianity Broken people serving broken people. Verse 8, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And he gets sent. There's no, there's no, um, what's the word? Uh, there's no kind of like rejection from God. I oh, know we can't trust you with this. You need to know the depths of your sin to know just how much you love God. So, a bit of a heavy note to finish on there, wasn't it? But shall we pray? Um, and then we'll respond uh, with singing. And if you'd like to get some prayer, maybe some of the things has been difficult to watch or hear, um, then I'd really encourage you to get prayer from the, the guys on the, my right, your left, over on the side. We'd love to pray with you. And it's totally confidential. And just chat through and pray with them. Um, anyway, let's pray. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that there's nothing um, <clears throat> nothing I can do. There's nothing that... Um, I don't own it. I don't deserve it. It's your grace upon my life to, to be loved by you. And I just... Father God, I, I, I pray for... Um, I pray, bring us to the place of I am ruined again and again and knowing that we are loved and from that point that you can use us. And I pray, Father God, use us. Use us for uh, great things. Um, But Father, I pray first, bring us to a place of knowing our dependency upon you every day. We love you, Jesus. Amen.